Hey, welcome to season two of the Change Today podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kade, founder of Change Today, a diversity consulting firm making sure women, people of color, and underserved communities feel safe and can be their best selves in the workplace. Kade is my last name, and in French, it means soldier. So we talk about how people are soldiers of change, personally or professionally. This season, we have great guests sharing their story with you, and I'm so happy that you've decided to come back and share another season with me. Remember to like and subscribe so that you know when all of the new episodes are coming up, and I really appreciate your support. So let's take it away and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Change Today podcast. Today's a little different. We're doing a special episode addressing the racial injustices happening towards the Black community here in America. I felt it was very important to not only um, have tools for what non-Black people can do right now to support the Black community, um, but so you know the importance of the work that I'm doing and the special guest that we have today um, to make our nation understand why Black is beautiful and Black is amazing. I'm so excited to welcome back um, a season one guest, Adrian Kimball. Hi, Adrian. Hi, how are you today? I am not okay, but I am doing the work. That means you must be a powerful Black woman. <laughs> um, I am. You're my third meeting. It's it's eight in the morning and you're my third meeting. <laughs> So yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely um, doing the work. Let the listeners know who you are. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Adrian Kimball, and I am currently the Chief Talent Officer at Rubicon Programs. I, too, am a powerful, passionate Black woman. I've been using that energy at Rubicon specifically to move a white-led organization um, from the middle of not racist to the edge of being an anti-racist organization, Mm. meaning we proactively seek to dismantle um, white supremacy culture and racism first within the organization, and then we uh, intend to spread that throughout the communities we serve. I love that. I love anti-racist organization, which we're now, and when I say now, in the past two weeks are seeing this beginning of language saying not diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. I do believe belonging still better, but incorporating anti-racist in there. Anti-racist. Yeah, it's not enough to say that we are EEOAA compliant. First mm. of all, compliance signifies that you are following someone else's dictate, probably someone who's invested in perpetuating white supremacy, uh, the mindset around that, mm-hmm. have to be actively, proactively dismantling uh, first within yourself or the system that you are operating in, mm-hmm. and then um, spreading that uh, external to those systems. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let the listeners know what those letters are. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, AA is affirmative action. EEO is equal employment opportunity. And both of those are federal constructs uh, that seeks to legislate the things you named earlier, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were powerful um, at the onset of this journey of, of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. They are a little less powerful now. Um, because we know more, and when you know better, you got to do better. Mm-hmm. 
that's what those letters stand for. So let's keep that momentum going. When you know better, you have to do better. What does that mean for you, for non-Black people specifically? I want to I want to narrow the focus down to um, obviously white people, but but white women. So what does that mean to you? Yeah, and I appreciate. I think it's critical to narrow it to be specific, as specific as possible about a lived experience when you're talking about shifting lived experiences um, broadly. So. What that means is when something is reflected back to you, when you become aware, cognizant of something, it is your role as an ever-evolving human to integrate that into your values, beliefs, behaviors to make a change. Yes. Yeah. Specifically, when I think about white women and what is most needed for them to grow and evolve at this moment, because this country is rooted in the non-evolved. Like you're, you're never, you're always, like your weakest link is always, you know, your issue. Right. And where you are stuck is the issue. Right. And for me at this time, like I'm reframing what is wrong with America. Mm. Um, I feel like as a black woman, I am in a, an abusive relationship with America. I get physically, verbally abused. You tell me it's going to get better. I believe you until the next time I burn the rice or show up late for something. And then here we are again. Mm-hmm. So what I, when I say like, when you know better, you got to do better. is like, we are given this prime opportunity to understand what racism, what white supremacy culture, what that mindset looks like at mm-hmm. all four levels of oppression. Mm. And now that we know, it is our job, it is your responsibility to evolve beyond that. Nobody still um, behaves as if they're in kindergarten. Like if you're, if you're 40 years old, um, you don't behave like you're in kindergarten because you know better. Right. Uh, there's a saying, like, when I was a child, I played with childish things, but I'm no longer a child. And I believe that white people are rooted in the infantile stages of this country. Mm -hmm. And if you know your history, you know that 100 years before the Constitution, 100 years before democracy, was the construction of whiteness. Yes. So I think that it is imperative for white people to take the lessons given. Let's Amy Cooper lesson. Mm -hmm. And knowing the four, first of all, you have to know stuff. Knowing the four levels of oppression at the intrapersonal level, your personal values, beliefs, attitudes about yourself. You see, Amy has an identity. She sees herself as valued differently than Mr. Cooper, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the intrapersonal level. And then that played out, plays out at the inter, between you and me, interpersonal level. He sought to correct a wrong she was behaving in. She sought, and for her, the equal and opposite reaction was to call the police, possibly get him thrown in jail, possibly have him injured or killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the institutional level, it didn't happen in this case because both folks left, but what happens is the police show up and they act out rules, policies, procedures, practices that are also rooted in white supremacy culture, that are also rooted in the foundation of this country, which is the construction of 
the superiority of whiteness, right. white skin. Right. And then at the fourth level, the cultural level, the most important level is we sit back and judge what was right, normal, true, good in that situation. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of white folks, and I've talked to a lot of uh, white folks, there's a lot of, when you function at a certain level in an organization, there's a lot of white folks. And so there's a lot of white folks who their first thing they said to me was, oh, that poor dog. Yeah. He was choking that dog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because them, what's right, normal, true, and beautiful is their relationship, their symbiotic relationship with, with animals. And that's, you know, that's the truth. Right. What we have to do is elevate that culture for white people. Right. So first know that. Know that it's playing at all these levels. And so Amy, rumor says that she voted for Obama. She voted for Hillary. She gives to progressive causes. Oh, yeah. So it's not about, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not about your behavior. It is about what you honestly feel within yourself about your value and the values of others. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, she said, I am more important than you. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're, you dare to tell me I'm not important means I need to come up with an equal and opposite reaction to recalibrate the power differential in this situation. Yep. She felt there was an imbalance, a chink to her identity. Right. And so this is why it happens with white women all across America, all across socioeconomics, because they believe that they have a value whether it's the value of being the VP at Franklin Templeton, the value of knowing ordinances when you think about Barbecue Betty, the value of their comfort and safety when you think about the woman at Yale who called the police on a woman who was napping. Right. No threat to her. None. You know, she was napping. No, this birder, no threat. And I, I've talked to a few white women who said, well, I understand that she, she was scared because she's racist. <laughs> I was like, what was she scared of? She was charging him. Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with the external threat. It has everything to do with the internal, the intrapersonal value, identity, belief about yourself. So white women need to both recognize, wake up to the fact that they are powerful, mm -hmm. that they hold power, mm -hmm. and at the same time, demonstrate powerlessness right? Because what you're saying when you call the police as a white woman is, I do not have the social skills to manage this situation. Right. I intrinsically don't have what it takes to recalibrate my delusion of power. And so I need help. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, while we're trying to, or while uh, white feminists are trying to disrupt the patriarchy and seek pay equity and gender equity, they are really dependent on the patriarchy because the, right. the patriarchy is rooted in white supremacy culture. And so I want, I, I took notes. I always love learning from you and, and how the examples that you're using are so poignant and powerful um, for, for the listeners. Again, the, the four different um, levels of oppression, which I talk about in my power and privilege workshop are cultural, institutional, interpersonal, and personal. Those are the levels. And I love how you're saying, you know, there's this power dynamic that happens because of whiteness, um, as you've mapped, but started very strongly in 1619. If you don't know what happened in 1619, Google it. But with that, it's ingrained that white is best in America. 
and white is great. So now that we have more uh, BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, primarily Black people saying like, this isn't okay in the workplace, society, and calling um, white people out and also calling white people in to do the work, the power dynamic has shifted because they're always right, which is what we could see, like you're saying with Amy Cooper, she wanted to have all the power, but there was really an equal playing ground because there's a sign that says your dog needs to be on a leash and it was just an ask. But to be told by a black person that you weren't abiding by a rule broke her down mm -hmm. because she wanted to maintain power. We have no right to do this. Now, for those of you who don't know, a power dynamic was definitely highlighted um, during slavery. That part was there. And, yeah. right? And the thing there, before, we're going to talk about slavery a little bit more, but, but before we go there with this, how you're saying, being more comfortable with the powerlessness. I tell white people all the time to be uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable because what you're experiencing is exactly that, which I'm going to use in quoting you moving forward. It's that powerlessness and being okay with that. It doesn't mean you're wrong. You, white people want to be an expert and right at everything so much. So when I say, hey, you are not treating me fairly in the workplace because of these reasons, or hey, you haven't made an internal or external statement about the racial injustices, the lynchings, the murders of black people that have been very clear in the past two weeks. And now you're like, well, that hasn't affected me because my white life is just fine. You are saying the life doesn't value. What a lot of people don't realize, and they're gonna hear me say this, I'm adding it to my broken record, is black people, and I'm gonna keep it focused on black people right now. Black people in the workplace where we are both experts, you and I, Adrian. Yeah. Black people have to work harder. Black people have to deal with stereotypes that are in the workplace. Black people are passed over on promotions. Black people are paid less. Black people have to deal with implicit bias. Black people have to deal with imposter syndrome. Black people have so much to deal with to feel valued and appreciated in the workplace. And we also have it in society too. But the difference is what hap has happened over the past two weeks is that the president of this country has said, shoot them. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, what has already been enraged since he has been in office, and I do call him president on Twitter because that is how he is a president, mm -hmm. it exacerbates what's been happening over the past few years with him in office and gives permission to harm Black people, kill Black people, and continue that with the protesters who are um, Indigenous people of color, or white allies or accomplices in that space. So now what happens is you have black people who feels that their own nation, who they already knew didn't want them, but now it is further confirmed, mm -hmm. particularly for this, these current generations, further confirmed. They haven't experienced the civil rights movement and, and you know they've only read about it. It is confirmed. Now you have to go back into a workplace where no one gives a shit. And you still have to go to meetings when you already didn't feel valued there, now you don't feel valued in the world, right? Right. And they have to act like everything's okay. People are talking about brunches and shit, but it's like, um, I was protesting or I was supporting my black friends or I'm crying or I can't sleep. There's an endless amount of emotions that are happening. So what I say 
to clients is if you didn't have a statement by today, today, and today is Friday, June 5th, when we're recording this. Yeah. That means your company, organization, agency, whatever you call yourself, is upholding values of white supremacy. Because two weeks ago, you'd be like, oh, we don't have the money for diversity. We don't have the money for anti-racism. We don't have money to hire the person, blah, blah. You can have all the excuses. But if you see a, a, a decent amount of companies, not all of them are doing it right, saying that we actually need to do better as a brand or this is not okay or the Ben and Jerry's of the world who are using the words black and white supremacy and, and talking about it. If you're choosing not to do it, you are saying, I co-sign to white supremacy. That is what you're saying. So um, with that, I would love for you to share with the listeners, primarily white women, um, a little history about slavery and their role. Oh, you know, I think, um, yeah, so you started at 1619 and, and you have got to know your history. America is ahistorical. Part of that is self-protection. Like it's hard to look at the history and know that some of that uh, may be in your lineage, some of that treatment may be in your lineage. So what, I'm going to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to start with Bacon's Rebellion because there was a time when folks uh, got, got along just fine together because there was no construction of race. Um, and then the elites, there was an uprising called Bacon's Rebellion. They almost overthrew the elites. And that's when the construction of whiteness was put into place, not just for privileges, but also for um, laws. Like it became just not advantageous to be black or to be Native American. Um, and this was, yeah, 1619, 1666. But what people don't talk about in America is the fact that 40% of slave owners were women. Mm -hmm. We know this at the periphery, right? We know that Martha Washington, um, before she married George, brought lots of slaves to the, to the union. Mm -hmm. So while women couldn't own real property, they could own personal property. Mm -hmm. And slaves were personal property. Mm -hmm. It was a way that a wealthy father could empower his daughter in a union. It was a way that white women retained some independence in a union, in a marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and 40% is a big number, especially if we think that white women were... Um, passive or they were unwilling witnesses to slavery and it is simply not true mm -hmm. it's important to know that because that shapes the dynamic that gives context mm -hmm. to why the daughters of the confederate work so hard to put up most of those confederate monuments a hundred years after slavery mm -hmm. because they were mourning the loss of their power they were mourning the loss of their financial independence. Mm -hmm. They held on to slavery as long as any male owner did when, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. They didn't say, oh, I'm so glad this is over. I'm freeing and paying all of my slaves. <laughs> no. And just like Amy Cooper, they had to design crueler methods to um, bring balance to the power dynamic because they didn't have the physical power. Mm -hmm. And if you read they were her property by slaves account, by slave enslaved, the account of enslaved people, they will tell you some of the gruesome measures white women slave owners took to retain power in that situation. 
it's important to know this because it gives context and it, it helps us understand why white women voted for Trump more than they voted for Hillary. Mm-hmm. Why white women voted for Roy Moore? Because they are seeking to get as close to power so they can regain some of their power as they can. And that is rooted in, they have to couple themselves with the white supremacy mindset because that is what's empowering this country. Right. And so just like Amy Cooper instantly, instantly knew she was going to call the police. She didn't have a moment's hesitation. Whether white women are willing to talk about it, articulate it or not, they know that their best play to keep power is to keep white men in power until they can saddle up, get next to, and then maybe, I don't know, the feminist long-term agenda, overthrow that power. Mm-hmm. Hillary wouldn't do that for them. Because culturally, which is the highest level of oppression, she did not find it to be right, normal, true, or beautiful to oppress people. At least explicitly, that was not her agenda. Right. So, you know, you have to know your history in order to understand some of these, some of the relationships, and in order to understand Emmett Till, in order to understand Black Wall Street. You know, that was another, you talk about looting and rioting, uh, mass murder of people, black people, because a white woman said a black man touched her in an elevator when actually she tripped into the elevator, right? Mm-hmm. It, un- it helps us underscore and understand the relationship between white women and black women. Mm-hmm. When you understand that white women bred and used for um, procreation and used for money, the bodies of, white, of black women. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the over-sexualization of black women. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the purity of white women and how we try to keep that separate, mm-hmm. they're both myths, by the way, but we perpetuate them because it is rooted in this system of slave um, owning slaves and being enslaved, who's in power, who's right, beautiful, normal, and true. Mm-hmm. And, and so if I just make one tangent here, I would say, when white women tell me, but what can I do about the system? I'm also fighting at the institutional level. I'm being oppressed at the institutional level. The most important, the highest level of oppression is cultural. And you continue, white women continue to perpetuate what's right, normal, true, and good. That's why during Obama's era, we had far fewer incidents of racism because the culture said, that's not right, that's not normal, that's not true. Right. To your point earlier, our current president is saying it's right, normal, true, and beautiful right. to oppress and celebrate, injure, appropriate Black people. Right. So it takes over the nation. So you can, you can affect and control culture. So you can, you can, you are a big part of this problem and solution. Absolutely. Well said. And we also know in the Obama era, there was an increase in... Uh, POC owned businesses. That's right. Because people, and I was one of them. I was one of them. When he became president, I was like, I can have a business. Like, I could do this. It's not that I didn't see people who own businesses, but right. there was a difference to it. You know, there's a different vibe. I felt that I was unstoppable. Mm. Right. And even mm. when he was elected in office and I went into to work like the next day, you know, on that Wednesday, and I was just like, you white people can't tell me anything. <laughs> can't tell me nothing. Yeah, there's a vibe for that. So then because of that, we know the profound impact of this current president and, and what it's doing to our, our Black community. I love, I, I love you. I think you're fantastic and great. 
but the historical context is really important to understand why white women are struggling. So what I typically say is, I am a black woman. I am black and I'm a woman. Mm. I cannot separate the two because people always see my blackness. White women will always choose their whiteness over being a woman. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I, I do spend more time with white women and knowing that they are exhausting is for this very reason. As a woman, we know you've experienced discrimination and inequities. There is data that shows that. Yep. It doesn't mean you know what it's like to be a person of color, but you have been discriminated against. And even with that, because of what has been ingrained in American culture and society, whiteness still supersedes those painful, unfair experiences white women have had. Yeah. And that is where they underestimate just how toxic and violent and harmful they are to the Black community. Because in America, I will say, like, there is this image of, you know, the white supremacist being a male and, like, a guy. Mm -hmm. But as you've explained in history, we have had white women who had their personal property that they usually inherited um, by a parent Mm -hmm. um, or by a previous marriage. And so it goes back to making sure they're supporting the white guy. That's right. Which is why they're voted for for this current president. It's why Roy and all the other shit has happened. And it's why they feel like, why are you videotaping me? I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, did you hear what you said? You called the cops call the cops on someone who asked you to follow the rules that are posted. You know why the rules are posted in a park? So you don't have to call the cops. Mm. Right? It's like, hey, hey, FYI, remember, these are the rules. <laughs> so we can all abide by a social contract, right? We have a social contract with one another. Right. Some of the rules are posted. Please leash your, your pet. Uh, some of them are not please don't use charcoal grills, <laughs> but whatever it is, there are these rules, practices, and procedures that are uh, put out there for us to abide by a social contract. And what the birders saw, Mr. Cooper saw that she was not abiding by, abiding by the social contract. So she said that to him. Mm-hmm. But when you believe I am the social contract, exactly. the contract was for me, Right. depending on which side of the uh, uh, rule you're on, you're either going to demand enforcement of the rule are you going to be like, the rule doesn't apply to me? Right. And when I look at people, when I hear white people talk about the looting and, you know, but why are they looting? What they're asking is, why are they disrupting the social contract, which is we don't steal, we don't damage other people's property, um, at, right? But what they are not asking is that, again, the highest level of oppression is what is wrong, ugly, and uh, not normal about why they're protesting. Right. You know, they, they want to stay in the middle at the institutions because it's or at the social contract because it's easier to say you broke a rule. You broke a rule mm-hmm. instead of having to look at yourself mm-hmm. and say, but why are they doing that? Um, because then that will reflect back to you that you are breaking the social contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's this fine dance between powerful and powerless. Right. What if you feel like sharing? What? advice, suggestions, tools would you give white women right now of how that they could 
be comfortable with being powerless and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, like, for instance, I'm always <laughs> saying like, you know, you need to have conversations. You need to talk about the journey you're going through with your white friends and family and hold them accountable for what's going on. Just as like a, it's, it, that is how you start to um, get the actions and words to match. And that's how you start to build accountability by saying, this is what I'm learning. I would typically do this. Now I'm doing that. Why do you feel that way? Advocating for black people by saying, no, it's not about looting. <laughs> it's about, right. And having those conversations. I, um, this week was interviewed on Randy Zuckerberg's, um, XM radio show. Hey, Right. And I was asked to talk about my, my journey of how, how I got into diversity and of course how to support black employees. Um, and the whole episode is dedicated to like highlighting, you know, really great black women. And I, I do the work. Right. So, and what I'm saying is like talking to your friends and your family, I'm like, that is why it's important for you to talk to Mark. And Mark is the Mark you're thinking, Mark Zuckerberg, because I was like, yesterday, this week alone, he's met with Trump and civil rights leaders and activists. Mm. Yesterday, he met with civil rights leaders and activists, and they are concerned. They are concerned. Because how he's operating this company and, and operating with um, the current president, um, I said he is harming black, the Black community protesters of any ethnicity or race who are, you know, supporting the black community mm -hmm. and also highlighting voter suppression. Ugh. Right. Mm -hmm. And so those are conversations that you need to have with your brother. And she responded well, she responded well and is acknowledging those are conversations that need to be had. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to share that interview on my platform. Um, and I was surprised she responded because the way I visualized it, I would like be cut off the air. <laughs> but she took some accountability in that. And I was like, being uncomfortable is part of the work. Just how it yeah. could potentially be uncomfortable for me to call you out about your brother who's very powerful on the radio. I'm willing yeah. to do that. I'm willing to do that for my black community. Mm. You need to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. For your, yeah. Right. And right. so, cause I, you know, I can talk to, to, to white people as much and I will, and I'll continue to do that as long mm -hmm. as my body and mind, body and spirit allows me to do it. Yes. But I cannot do the work alone. So to you, what are the tips, tools, resources, advice you may have um, for white people, white women, um, with doing the work? You know, you've named a lot. You know, I love a good framework. And so I'm gonna give you a little bit of a framework, which you've already named, which is wake up, grow up, show up. That's evolution. Wake up, become aware of yourself, your own values, attitudes, beliefs, what you believe to be right, true, good, how you depend on the institutions to uphold your identity. Powerful, powerless. Just wake up to that. Mm -hmm. acknowledge it and then grow up it's like 12 steps like just be explicit about what you know to be true 
mm-hmm. what you know to be normal. Mm-hmm. Have those conversations, like the same ones that you're having. And then show up. You have to be visible and vocal. At the smallest level, if you're at Thanksgiving dinner and someone is like, oh, but, you know, you can tell they're lawless because they're looting. It's the first thing they do is loot. Arm yourself with information and data. Talk about, ask them, what about the looting of black bodies and free labor? Show up, be visible in the space of your, because I don't go to your family's house for Thanksgiving. I don't go to the spot trips with you. I don't, you know, I'm not a member of Surge, which is where white allies sort of talk about this. So you are there and you need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Wake up, become aware, grow up, acknowledge, sit with it, move from it, and then show up, be visible about it. Mm-hmm. I want to throw in, if I may, the idea that the answers are in the questions. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself rooted questions. Why do I believe I am more valuable than a black person? Okay. You don't even have to, you could ask that question and go on about your day. Mm-hmm. Your brain is a supercomputer. It'll get you the answers. Or you can ask lofty future focused questions. How did I get so good at being an anti-racist? Mm-hmm. Your brain will give you unique customized tools next steps and actions for you. But you first have to start asking yourself these questions and then being open and receptive to the answers. It's particularly difficult for white people because there's a filter that you've internalized. You've internalized a filter called white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I am better by the skin privilege than others. And so the answers that come to you, you are quick to rationalize. You can see it with Amy Cooper. You can see it with all the, all the Karens, all the Beckys, right? They're, oh, yeah, but what about? But we didn't see the whole tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Blow up that filter. Get close to yourself. And the first answer that comes is the one you need, whether you're asking rooted questions or lofty questions. Exactly. Exactly. I love, I love all that. I, um, I also feel it's important to say for people who are, white people who are struggling with the, protesters Mm -hmm. um this is a a tweet um from a white man i want to make this very clear let's be clear about something if there's a spike in coronavirus cases in the next two weeks don't blame the protesters blame racism oh and let's remember that the police are increasing covid risk by using tear gas herding demonstrators into tight spaces and putting people in crowded jails so even in the simple fact that protesters, Black and allies of, who are non-Black are out there saying Black Lives Matter because they do, white supremacy is so strong, so strong in this country that the policing force, which created a lot of these problems to begin with, are creating more problems on top of the pandemic that we have. We've had more arrests in the past week of protests than we have of the cops who have killed and lynched Black people Mm -hmm. with video evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, like I said earlier, if people don't get right now why it's important to change their ways, um, non-Black or a white person, then you are upholding values of white supremacy. Right. That's right. There's no excuse now. You know, there's the picture of um, white people having brunch somewhere, and there's also a protest happening right next to them because they're out in the street. 
and there's you know people of color, but also white people who are protesting. It's no longer a choice. If the, if the choice you're making now that everything is an inconvenience, you're choosing to uphold white supremacy. Ugh. I like how you're asking people to ask the questions. One question I would ask them, why are you choosing to uphold white supremacy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how? How are you doing that? How are you doing that? Like, how is it disruptive for you to send an email <laughs> or a letter or make a phone call saying that Breonna Taylor's, you know, mm-hmm. to be arrested for murder? How's that an inconvenience for you, right? And so, again, my whole thing is do the work. And you have said it beautifully with how you summarized um, wake up, grow up, and show up. So with that, I have to say that um, I am so thankful that you have, I don't know, it's like more than gems. What is, you are whatever the rarest, that big diamond that's really expensive, that's what you are. (laughs) That is what you are. And I hope um, non-Black people, white people who are listening realize how much of a gift that you are. I posted this week that I'm a gift. You are. Right. And I don't say that again for ego. I say that because I legit am. And it's the same to you. We are gifts because yeah. we are doing this from a place of compassion, a place mm-hmm. of education, and doing it with um, with care and boundaries around who we are as Black women. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for for being here. We already know how you're a soldier of change. So we didn't need to ask that because this whole thing was exactly how you are a soldier of change. Um, but let everyone know how they can find you. So I can be found on social media platforms, Adrian underscore Kimball and on Instagram as the melanated soul. Yes. And the affirmations that are designed for people of color, black people primarily are fantastic for anyone who's listening, who is um who who identifies as black or indigenous or people of color go there and find your joy it is important that we still have joy in this very challenging Mm -hmm. fearful time for us um so to you and i never thought about this but thank you i never thought about this so if you are white listen to the affirmations because they always start with a little bit of history you don't know your own history as white people and you definitely don't know ours. So um, check. I never thought about that, but if you check them out, you might uh, learn a little something. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're powerful. I, I will repost them on, on, I do repost them on my um, platform, but yeah, I think there's some, some learning in it and, and understanding why we needed affirmations for ourselves, mm-hmm. specific to ourselves. And it's because, you know, you've been doing affirmations before this shit. Um, yeah. but why it's even more important right now. So um, okay. to, to you and to everyone listening, keep being amazing. I love you. You keep being amazing. And I say that as a sustainability practice. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you for having me. It's always such a joy. I should start every morning like this. Thanks for listening to the Change Today podcast. You can learn more at changekaday.com that's the word change and today like cadet c-a-d-e-t or follow change today or at change today podcast remember to like subscribe comment and share i'm a black business y'all and i appreciate it thanks for listening